What up, sports world? You're listening to The Victory Formation with Aaron Neal. I'm your host, Aaron Neal. Alright, so, I'm currently in school for sportscasting, and this is my very first podcast, so we're going to see how this goes. Bear with me. I've created this podcast as the first step into building my brand and building a following as a sportscaster. And I'm going to break down the latest news and games from around the sports world. So first, I'm going to start off with the NFL free agency. It's been wild. Between Khalil Mack going to the Chargers, J.C. Jackson to the Chargers. I mean, you got Devontae Adams going to the Raiders. You got Juju going to the Chiefs. And don't get me started on the Russell Wilson trade. The AFC West is going to be a free-for-all. But let me start with the latest trade that happened yesterday. Matt Ryan to the Colts. Now, everyone will say who won the trade. Honestly, I think it's good for both teams. I mean, because you clear out cap space for an aging quarterback. I mean, you're not going to win the Super Bowl anyway. So, I mean, ain't no sense in having Matt Ryan on the roster because you're not going anywhere. So, it's good to offload the cap space and free up some area for a developing team. Honestly, I think Matt Ryan's going to thrive with the Colts. I don't think they'll win the division. I still think it's Tennessee's division. But, I mean... He upgraded at offensive line. They got a top five offensive line. Upgraded at wide receiver. I mean, the only person he was throwing to in Atlanta was Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley wasn't playing. But now he's got Michael Pittman. I mean, he's got um, Jonathan Taylor at running back. He's upgraded. I mean, obviously the O-line is upgraded. I just said that. But now he instead of throwing on third and long every down, he's going to be thrown on third and short because they can run the ball. I mean, John Taylor had well over 1,500 yards rushing. So, I've, I'm... The Colts are very well set to make a playoff push this this coming season. I bet they'll be probably a five or... I bet I think a five seed, five wild card team. But like I said, everyone says who won the trade. Well, I mean, honestly, I think both teams won. Like I said, the Falcons clear up some cap space, and then they bring in Mariota. Matt Ryan couldn't move around with Mariota. He has the ability to move around, and they now have the advantage of having a moving pocket since they have a below average offensive line. So, I mean, it opens some things up for them, and that's just going to help Cordell Patterson as well. So, honestly, I think the Falcons have put themselves in a position to increase their win total from last year as well, especially considering their division is trash as well, except for the Bucks. I mean, because... Who's the quarterback in Carolina? <laughs> Sam Darnold? You can trust him. And the Saints, they just signed Jameis Winston. 
crab legs. So the Falcons will increase their win total next year. And anyone says who Matt Ryan won't do better in Indy obviously haven't been paying attention because this man had a 67 completion percentage. He threw for almost 4,000 yards and he had almost a two to one touchdown interception ratio. And that's thrown to Kyle Pitts and a whole bunch of nothing. So you don't think he'll have he'll do better throwing to Michael Pittman, having Jonathan Taylor back there. You just don't know football. According to PFF, the Falcons have the 29th ranked offensive line. No, my bad. The 29th ranked defense, and the Colts are the 14th. So he's gonna have to be playing catch up the whole time. He's gonna be able to throw whenever he wants to, honestly. So it's going to it's going to work out for him because the defense is going to be playing the run and then he can hit him with some play action. And I mean he's 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 won an MVP, come on now. You don't think Matt Ryan can't figure it out with John Taylor? I mean, Philip Rivers got him to the playoffs. You don't think he can do the same thing? No. I got to cover my team, Tennessee Titans. They just signed Robert Woods and Austin Hooper. Now, the Robert Woods move is probably, honestly, it's probably the best move they could have made for number two wide receiver. Yeah, I know he's coming off injury, injury and everyone wants to be skeptical about that, but before he got hurt, he was on track to have 90 receptions, tied for the most of his career. He was on pace to have 1,100 yards, third most in his career, and eight touchdowns, the most in his career, before he went down with injury. Now, I know it's going to take some time to work back through, but... Tennessee with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry as the, as the first two weapons in Tannehill's arsenal are only going to, to help Woods in his rehabilitation from his knee surgery. So I expect Robert Woods to... Also, I'd say he'd have 90 catches, like what he was on pace for with the Rams, but I would... I'd very much say he was being in the 70 catch range this coming season. And Austin Hooper, I mean, last year was a down year. I mean, he, he only had, I think it was like 40-something catches, maybe 30. But in his time in Atlanta when he had a good quarterback and he wasn't having to split time with David and Joku, his uh, last year in Atlanta, he had 75 catches, 787 yards, and six touchdowns with Matt Ryan. The guy everyone says is washed and he's not going to do anything in Indy. So when he has a competent quarterback, that man can ball. So, And the Titans love to use the tight end. 
They'll do fake blocks with him breaking out late, and the Titans love to throw to the, to the tight end of those situations. Third and short, little out routes. I'd look for Austin Hooper to have a big year this year. Now let's switch to the NBA. Now, so far this season, the narrative has been the Lakers are trash. Phoenix is rolling. John Moran is a walking highlight reel. And the good teams have established themselves already. Now, from what I've seen, there are four, there are eight teams who could possibly win the championship this year. Four from each side. You got Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Boston coming out of the East. And you have Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, and Utah coming out of the West. Now, I don't necessarily trust Miami coming out of the East because, I mean, honestly, I mean, in playoff basketball, it's all about the dudes you have. And Miami just ain't got them dudes. I mean, they got Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he's hyper-athletic, but, I mean, he ain't, he ain't locking nobody down on defense. And he's not going to go down and take over the scoring load on offense. I mean, that was proven in the bubble whenever they played the Lakers in the championship. He just didn't take over. He doesn't take over a game like that, like a Giannis or a LeBron or even an Embiid. He just doesn't take over. And Tyler Hero, I mean, yeah, he can, he can take over a game, but – it's usually in the flow of a game. Like he doesn't just take the ball out of, out of someone else, out of Jimmy Butler's hands and create his own shot. It's usually within the flow of the game he takes over. He'll get open for some threes. He'll make a drive or two, get to the bucket, get some free throws, but that's about it. He doesn't actually just give me the ball and I'm going to create my shot. And I'm going to take over. I'm going to do this thing for us. I mean, that's not him. So, I don't trust Miami. So, I think it's a, I don't think they'll make it. But, I mean, they could get hot. Tyler Hero can take over a game, like I said, with the flow of the game. And they could possibly come out of the East, hit the right streak, get the right team. I mean, it could happen. So that's why I have them. Now, I think the 76ers are second and Embiid and Harden. Ever since Harden got there, it seems like Embiid has just taken off. He's had m multiple 30-point games. I mean, he was doing well before, but you add Harden to that mix, and it's a, it's a whole honestly, it's a whole other team. And then you got Doc Rivers as the coach. I mean, he's proven he's won 
in Boston, so he knows what it takes to be a championship coach, to lead a team to a championship. So you can't count them out. And then, of course, Milwaukee, the reigning champions, they got championship pedigree. And honestly, it seems like Chris Middleton has really come into his own as Batman or Robin to Giannis's Batman. So when Giannis struggles, he can take over a game. But, again, it's more along the Tyler Hero effect, but less so. He can create his own shot sometimes. It's just not consistent. But he can take over a game, and everyone knows what Giannis can do. He's two-time MVP. So you got the Bucks, and then you got Boston, and you got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And Tatum averages almost 27 a game. Jalen Brown averages almost 23. So... And then you got, I mean, Boston has been on a roll. They got the number one defense in the in the league right now. And then you mix in uh, a little bit of Marcus Smart. He's like a Jimmy Butler, high energy. Doesn't really take over. Doesn't really isn't really a scorer like that. But he's one of the best. Wing defenders, if not the best in the league. So you mix those two with Marcus Smart and the way Boston's been playing here recently. Honestly, they're they're my dark horse to win it all. I could see them going all the way. But now the West. The West is where it gets really competitive. With Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix has been on a tear all season. I mean, they got almost 60 wins. Very few teams do that. They're just playing great basketball. And honestly, I think they have a chip on their shoulder from last year. And getting there and then falling short to the Bucks. They've come back with a vengeance and they're going to prove everybody. And then, of course, John Morant. Like I said, he's a walking highlight reel. I mean, that man can do some things that I haven't seen before. That man's wild. But the Memphis Grizzlies as a whole, they've really turned turned their stuff around since getting jaw. Excuse me. But... He can take over a game. So he can be their go-to to lead them to the championship game. Next, you got Golden State. I mean, when Draymond is in, Golden State almost looks like Golden State of four years ago. They look, they look like world, like giants. World beaters. Unstoppable. But it's all about Clay as well. Because coming off his injury, I mean, 
he's had some good games, and the other night he dropped 30. But he just doesn't look like himself. He looks like a, a step behind. And not playing for two years will do that. But it's a matter of, is he going to get right and hit that clay of old down the stretch in the playoffs? And honestly, I think he can do it. But will he do it? I'm just not sold that he will. But I know he can. But I'm not sold that he will. And last, you got Utah. I think it's Utah. Yeah. And they can get there. But I just don't really see it happen. I mean, they could they could get there. They could get hot and catch Memphis or Phoenix slipping, overlooking them. Now, if they can muddle up the game and, like, get past their first-round opponent and then meet the Grizzlies in the semifinals, I could see them muddling up the game and taking jaw out of it a little bit and getting to the conference championship. But Rudy Gobert paired with Donovan Mitchell, I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like a championship team. And Gobert's not that not that dude like that. And I mean, we saw what Donovan Mitchell did in the bubble. I mean, going back and forth with the Nuggets when he was dropping fifty every other game. But you need a strong Robin Deer Batman to be a legit championship contender. And Gobert's good, but he's just not that dude. So, I could see him getting to the conference championship game. But I honestly don't think they'll get farther than that. But, let me switch to this. LeBron. This man is in year 19, and in the last eight games, not including the one he played last night, he's had four 30-point games and two 50-point games. In year 19. This man is playing on a horrible Lakers team. I mean horrible. God, they're awful. But... The fact that he's second in scoring this year behind Embiid and in year 19 just goes to show that he could have done this anytime. With any team, with the D Wade years, with both Cleveland times, he could have just dropped almost 40 every night. And so that goes to show the team player that LeBron really is to sacrifice all these points and all these scoring titles that he could have won to get his teammates involved because he knew that without them, he's never going to go anywhere. I mean, how many times have we seen someone 
win a scoring title, but on a bad team. Yeah, they scored a lot of points, but it's because they had to. I mean, if you're having to score all the points, what the hell is everyone else doing? Standing around watching? That's no good. So, I mean, it just goes to show that his willingness to pass the ball, I mean, he has 10,000 assists and 10,000 rebounds. The fact that he's been able to put aside his own To put aside his own ego for scoring to get his teammates involved is a testament to his want to win championships and not just individual accolades. Man. But back to the Lakers. Is it just me or do they look like like a mid-2000 12-team all-star roster. I mean, with Carmelo and Westbrook and Anthony Davis and obviously LeBron and Howard. Man, in like 2015, this would have been, this would have been the team to have. But all these players look old and washed up, honestly. AD can't stay healthy. And I've said since before the All-Star break, the Lakers should trade him. Because, yeah, he did great in the bubble, but he also got three months off in the middle of the season. And he hasn't done anything since. He's been injured and unreliable before, and he's been injured and unreliable since. So... Honestly, it would have been in the best interest of the Lakers to trade him before he got injured or before the All-Star break. Whenever he wasn't injured for, what, the third time this year? Hell, he's been injured so much I can't even keep track of how many times he's been injured. So, and then the fact that Russ isn't working. I think they expected AD to get injured and they brought Russ in. And he'd be able to help carry the load with LeBron when AD was out. Or when even LeBron was out because of load management. I mean, because the dude is in year 19. But, hell, he hasn't been able to do that. Yeah, the game, the game tying three the other night was nice. But, I mean... Self-awareness is everything. And I believe Russ is in that stage where Carmelo was a few years ago, where he's a bench player, but he doesn't see himself as a bench player and refuses to embrace that role where he would be best. So 
he's kind of in the between years of still thinking he's a star, but not actually being a star, but refusing to accept the fact that he's not a star. And Carmelo, he looked good in Portland. And I don't know what happened. Like, if the Lakers had gotten Portland Carmelo, then honestly, I think they'd be, I think they'd be like a seven or a six seed right now. But Melo hasn't worked. Russ hasn't worked. Dwight Howard hasn't worked. Dwight just looks. Mm. He just doesn't look engaged. He looks like he's there just to collect a check. Plays half-hearted. Mm. And the Lakers themselves. Honestly, the Lakers are a dying brand. I mean, you got the Rams, who just won a Super Bowl. All the Dodgers do is win. You got the Chargers, who just signed Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson and have Justin Herbert as their quarterback and who look poised to make a strong Super Bowl run this coming season. And then you got the Clippers, who are undefeated against you, if I'm not mistaken, in the last two and a half years, if you don't count, if including the bubble. So, you're a second-rate team in your own building where, all, where you've hung all the banners. So, the Lakers, in between Kobe and LeBron, were a whole bunch of nothing. And now, this year, they're a whole bunch of nothing, even with LeBron. So, they need to figure some things out in the front office because this has been a trend for a long time now. The Lakers don't make smart moves and they don't know how to build a team to win championships. Only thing they've done is played on the past brand. They keep looking back instead of trying to move forward. They keep trying to do everything off what what was worked in the past and now adapting to the NBA now. So they need to figure some things out if they're gonna if they plan on having a better run in the next few years. Because what they're doing isn't working. Alright. Now let's move over to March Madness. And I tell you what, the madness has been heavy this March. You got St. Peter's number 15 seed taking down Kentucky. Now, I can explain that one because it's not not necessarily as much as what St. Peter's did. It's about what Kentucky had been doing. They were five and three in their last eight games. And in their wins, they only had a 
average margin of victory of six points. And they're supposed to be one of the Blue Bloods, one of the title contenders this year. But they're beating Alabama and Vanderbilt by six points. So they weren't. They just weren't playing good basketball. And then to lose to Tennessee twice, and then to Arkansas once in the regular, once to Tennessee in the regular season, and once in the. SEC tournament championship or semifinal, and then Arkansas in the regular season, and like I said, just down the stretch they weren't playing good basketball. So St. Peter's came in there with a chip on their shoulder to show we belong, we're a good team, and they smacked Kentucky in the mouth, and Kentucky didn't know how to respond. But, honestly, that's the biggest shock that can be explained. But the biggest shock I can explain is Iowa. I mean, they went on a tear the last month of the season. Won the Big Ten Championship tournament. And then to come out and lay an egg like they did, that's unfathomable. I did not expect that at all. With with the way they were playing, the way they had played up to that point, I expected them to make a sweet 16 or at least a, a or even an elite 8 run. But to lose in the first round of the tournament was not expected. So, those are my two biggest shocks, two biggest takeaways from the first round. And in the second round, the biggest shock was the North Carolina over Baylor. Now I tell you, that was a game. Honestly, it was a game of, it was honestly two games in one because you had the first 30 minutes of when North Carolina, North Carolina was pretty much doing anything and everything that they wanted to Baylor. And then the Brady Manic foul. And that was controversial in itself because, honestly, that shouldn't have been a flagrant two because he wasn't turning around looking for him. He wasn't targeting him with his elbow. Honestly, I think it was just he went high. He put his elbows up on a rebound, on a box out, caught dude in the face, flagrant one, keep your elbows down. So that part didn't make sense to me at all. And two, ever after that moment, it was like the whole game changed. Baylor was getting away with anything and everything, officiating-wise. And North Carolina couldn't buy a bucket to save their lives. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, a tele, it was two different games all within a 40-minute period. But North Carolina proved that they they belong by knocking off Baylor without two of their star players. So that was the biggest shock in the second round. And man, oh man, 
The St. Peter Peacocks are still dancing. The Cinderella story continues. You know they're the only they're the only the third 15 seed to make the Sweet 16 in the tournament history. I mean, get this. So they spend 7.5 million dollars on the athletics for their school, the entire school, 7.5 million. They beat Kentucky in the first round. Who has Coach Calipari, who has an $8 million a year contract? $8 million a year. And they got beat by a squad that has 7.5 on the entire athletic program. So that just goes to show that the tournament is the ultimate. Anybody can do anything. They showed up, they put the work in, they smacked Kentucky in the mouth, and then they came in with a swagger, and they knocked Murray State off, and now they're going to the Sweet 16. I haven't looked to see who their opponent is yet, but I expect it to be a close game. They might not win, but they'll, uh, they'll keep it close. They'll be, within, they'll be within five points in the last 30 seconds. But now, for the teams that are playing in the Sweet 16, what I would look out for is Texas Tech versus Duke. Now, the narrative is going to be, it's Coach K's last Sweet 16. Is he going to keep going? And honestly, he might. He might not. I mean, it's a pick em game. Texas Tech is actually favored by one point. So, I mean, they're both playing really, really well at this very moment. And it could go either way. But don't count out Texas Tech just because it's Duke and Coach K in the last week 16. It was also his last home game during the regular season when they got beat by North Carolina. So just because it's his last doesn't mean it's any doesn't mean anything. So I'd look out for that, but I would expect. Honestly, I think I think Duke will lose. I think it's going to be Tech coming out with the W. But also, what I'd look out for is North Carolina having a letdown game. The emotional win over Baylor, losing Brady Manick and their other starter, and when he fouled out. The emotions were high. They went to overtime, and they pulled out the victory. But you got to remember, these are just kids. These aren't professionals. They get very, very, very high, and their lows can get very, very low. And North Carolina's been that all year. So I'd keep an eye out for North Carolina having a letdown game and coming out flat after that big emotional win. And like I said, can St. Peter's keep it going? I don't know, but we're going to find out, and I'm excited to watch. But, no, we'll catch up on the women's tournament for all my ladies out there that like watching basketball. In the first round, 
I'd say the, the biggest upset so far was Virginia Tech being beat by Florida Gulf Coast. They're one of six teams Florida Gulf, Florida Gulf Coast was, one of six teams in the double-digit seeds to make it to the second round. Now, in the next round, they came out flat and fell right on their face along with Villanova, who was also a double-digit seed. But Creighton won, and South Dakota won. Belmont lost to Tennessee, and Princeton lost. So the only two double-digit seeds to make it into the Sweet 16 were Creighton and South Dakota, both of them as 10 seeds. Now, the furthest a 10 seed has ever went was the Elite Eight, and that happened twice. So we're going to see if we're going to add two more teams to that. I think they play Wednesday or Thursday, but we're going to find out if those teams will join Elite Company and being the only two other teams to make the Elite Eight as a double-digit seed. But my Lady Vols won there in the Sweet 16. You know they're the only team to have make every tournament since they introduced the tournament? Fun fact. Go Lady Vols. But If Tennessee continues to play how they get against Belmont, I don't see them getting out of the Sweet 16. But if they play how I know they can play, then honestly, I could see Tennessee going all the way. I have to say, they're my dark horse to win the championship this year. But, you know, the ladies' tournament doesn't get as much notoriety, as much coverage. And I probably didn't do a good job here covering it as much as I wanted to. But they do play exciting basketball. I mean, last night, my Lady Vols hit a go-ahead three to go to the Sweet 16. So they do play exciting basketball. You just got to tune in. But... Well, that about wraps it up for me, guys. Please leave comments and feedback. Uh, like I said, this is my first podcast, so it will get better the more I do it. But please don't don't hesitate to leave feedback. I, like I said, I'm in. This is my first one. I'm in school. I'm trying it out. But see you.